and welcome to Money Files. I'm Kina Newell from Wealth Over Now. I work every day with professional women and solopreneurs to help them get out of financial overwhelm and shame so they can experience more flexibility and ease with their finances. Are you ready to gain confidence and learn to manage your finances intentionally? Tune in and grab financial tips that will help you master the way you think about and manage your finances. Hi, before you get into this week's episode, I want to invite you to join me this Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's March 31st. I am hosting a free masterclass called How to Budget Without Restriction. I know one of the number one reasons that people avoid budgeting is because they think of all the things that they're going to have to say no to. And I want to invite you to think about what if I didn't actually have to say no to things? How could that be true? Join me this Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I'm going to teach you the simple five-step process that I share with my clients that helps them budget for the last time. The five-step process that I've created has helped my clients increase their income by $20,000 annually, $50,000 annually. My clients have left their full-time job in order to work for you know their job part-time while they also build their business at the same time. And I want to help you change your relationship with money. So go to www.wealthovernow.com backslash masterclass and you should come. Also invite a friend and let's start the money conversation in your circle. Hi, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Money Files. I am here today with Martha, and Martha and I have known each other for over a decade, probably almost two, which is weird. Not quite two, because that would age me and make me really old. But um, we actually worked together. For those of you who don't know, I was a teacher, and at the time I was teaching fifth grade math, and Martha was the special educator for our team. And then fast forward a couple years later, and we worked together. She was one of my clients. And recently we were talking about, I actually sent her a text message and asked her, Hey, do you have problems? Like, where does ADHD and money, like, how do those two worlds kind of overlap for you? Because Martha will tell you that she is an adult and was a child with ADHD. And so I've had a lot of comments and questions come up about managing your money when you are also someone who identifies as having and experiencing ADHD. So I thought this would just be a great conversation. So Martha, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, glad to be back. I am Martha Hoffman. As Kina said, we've known each other, I believe it's been 13 years. Thank you. And I only know that because I'm about to embark on a transition from that job and it's been 13 (laughs) years. So it's been a while. And as Kina said, we worked together just over two years ago, formally, though Keena's had my ear talking about money for a full 13 years, but I formally uh, learned from her uh, through her program uh, just over two years ago. And yes, I've had a diagnosis of ADHD since I was in the seventh grade and had a variety of coping skills throughout the years, sometimes taken medication, sometimes not, sometimes really succeeded and had the right things in place, sometimes not. And I realized that sometimes it impacts parts of my life that I don't even realize it's impacting. I just think that's how everyone experiences it. So when Kina said, does ADHD show up for you with your money stuff? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, let's talk more. So here we are. Just dive in. Like how does ADHD like manifest in your life in terms of just being able to recognize how it impacts your day-to-day living lifestyle? 
So for those that don't know, there's a number of different types of ADHD. It can present in different ways and there are different subtypes, subtypes, but they're all, they all fall under the umbrella of ADHD. So the H is for hyperactivity, but even if you don't present as hyperactive, that's just what it's called. So this is only my experience, but for me, a couple of ways that it shows up are one, I am distractible. So when there are multiple sensory inputs, I struggle. So if there are two conversations happening in a room, I have a hard time focusing on either of them because I can't just focus on one. I'm hearing both. Or if I'm trying to have a conversation with my husband and my kids are also like in my space, right? Like pulling on me or tugging on me or also asking me for something, or it's also really hot out or anything like that. If there's like multiple senses competing, that's really difficult for me. I need to kind of pause and bring my focus to one sensory experience as much as possible. So that's one piece of it. My, my relationship with like sensory experiences, I'm like really sensitive to heat, things like that. That's been my whole life. So I feel like I just manage that. I pretty much know what to do. Another way that it presents is I have to make decisions about what I'm going to give my attention to. And what that means sometimes is that I can be really hyper-focused in some areas and really great with my attention to detail. You know, it makes me wonderful at completing projects part of my career is delivering learning to adults. And I'm really good at that because I can zoom in on all of the pieces. What's the experience like for the adult learner? And that's a strength. But what that also means is there are other details that I just don't see. So my husband laughs at this quite frequently, but you know, there was a trailer at the corner, um, like one house away from us for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the other day he said, I finally got rid of that trailer, that construction trailer that's been there. And I was like, "Mm, good job. I hadn't even seen it. It had been like six weeks. And he was like, Martha, it's half a city block. How did you not notice? But I just, I'm laughing, but that's an example of like, it's not, it wasn't important to me and it wasn't impacting me. I probably passed it a hundred times and didn't even notice. So I'm almost like polar opposites when it comes to detail. Sometimes I'm hyper observant and sometimes I am very unaware of something that my brain has perceived as like, not that important. And then the last way that I think it mainly presents for me is through impulsivity. And I'm not the type of impulsive person that's going to like go jump off a cliff. In fact, quite the opposite. But my thoughts and my smaller actions sometimes are impulsive. And I need to create some checks and balances to make sure that some of those impulses don't end up, for example, putting me into debt, right? Or overscheduling me on my calendar because I want to say yes. So that impulsivity, like I said, it's not like extreme stuff, but it's things within my day-to-day that I have to be conscious of so that I don't overextend in a number of different ways. I think what you're talking about, which I love, is like also the importance of knowing yourself. Like, yes, I know you're talking about how does ADHD like manifest for you, but I would offer for anyone listening, whether you have an ADHD diagnosis or not, it's the importance of like knowing yourself as a human and in different seasons. I know yesterday when we were talking about recording this episode, you even just talked about the shift from being in an office to like working at home and a structure completely being removed and then understanding like, how are you now operating in this new space? And I think that as an educator, that is something that I've been like trained to think about not necessarily like, Hey, what's going to happen if you go into a pandemic, right? But being able to look at certain conditions and how conditions or circumstances can shift just how you operate. And 
I would say like, before you go any further in this episode, just thinking for yourself, like, what do you know about yourself? And you were talking about, you know, your attention to detail, or sometimes you're really hyper-focused or how impulsivity shows up for you. And as we kind of dig deeper into this conversation and think about ADHD and money management, or you could just put any label on it probably that you want, just like, I think the importance of knowing how you show up in the world and, and what serves you and what doesn't serve you. There's been a lot of lessons learned, right? A lot of trial and error over the years. And I work with kids and adults with ADHD also. So I'm, I'm, you know, you said like when we were classroom teachers, we had to focus on the structure of the entire day, right? You couldn't just go in and say, I'm great at math. Here we go. There were so many other pieces. So we are trained to think about that in a while. What's the environment like? What, how are the desks set up? What's the lighting? What's the volume? How are people's energy at 2 p.m. versus 9 a.m.? Like all of those things. So because I have experience in that, like you, I think that's helped me. And there's been a ton of trial and error. What worked for me in high school had to totally readjust during college. And then after college, I had to readjust when I was working full-time and doing graduate school. And then after that, you know, I had a little bit less structure. And then once I got into the workforce, so there's been so many adjustments. And then again, the pandemic hit. And when I was in an office before, I could still really find lots of like motivation and energy at 2, 3 p.m. And that's a lot harder to do in my home, right? In my like tiny little room at the end of the house. So I've had to come up with other ways to make sure that I can extend my energy throughout the day in order to get my work done. And you mentioned like knowing yourself. So much of that is like really going inward. Like I could beat myself up every day and be like, why can't I get more work done at 3 p.m.? What's wrong with me at 3 p.m.? What do I need at 3 p.m.? Drink more coffee at 3 p.m. Or I could honor the fact that my energy is lower at 3 p.m. So I schedule something with less demand. I like do budget or invoice stuff at 3 p.m. I reply to emails at 3 p.m. I get into my calendar at 3 p.m. rather than some like big project that requires a lot of my brain energy. And I think all of us have that to an extent, but with the ADHD and the impulsivity and distractibility pulling me in other directions all day, right? If I don't honor what my body can do and needs to do, what happens is I just am exhausted. So like if I fight against it, I'm just tired all the time, which is then like I'm fighting against that as well. So those ebbs and flows, I have to listen to and they change. So I have to be willing to really go inward and think, okay, even now we're coming into spring. How has that shifted? My energy is different now that it's light later. Like all of those pieces, they're not just random, right? They're part of how I need to structure my days and weeks so that I can succeed at my job be a participant in my family, you know, be an involved mother, have friendships that are sustained, all of those things. Otherwise, all that would fall apart for me. Do you have a process? I'm thinking about someone who's listening right now and they're like, okay, well, I don't have necessarily the skill set to kind of know what I need, but like, where would someone be able to start like identifying their flow? Yeah. So you and I actually had this conversation, even though it was unrelated quite recently. I think for me, it's looking at my schedule. So if I feel like something isn't working, I take the time to like sit down and look at my schedule. So like look at a couple of weeks and I need to be able to see what's movable and what's not, and then move according to how I'm feeling. So I rely on my calendar a lot. 
and this isn't going to work for everybody, but I have three. I have like a calendar that I would consider my work calendar because it's like anything that's happening between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m., right? Then I have like my life calendar, which would be outside of those hours. And I share that with my husband. And then I also have a paper calendar just next to my desk because I need that visual when I am planning things. If I'm thinking, oh, this is due in two weeks, let me backwards plan. I need to be able to see the month. So I need a paper calendar as well. Now, three calendars might terrify somebody else, but for me that works. And because a calendar is visual, which works for me, it's a way that I can structure what I need and making changes doesn't feel as scary when I use my calendar. If I just sat down and thought, none of this is working, I need to start from scratch, I would be so overwhelmed and have nowhere to start. Instead, like the story I tell myself is, this isn't working right now, let me adjust what I can. And I go and I look at two or three weeks and I do, I move things around that I'm able to. Like I said, a big project that I have to work on, maybe a Wednesday morning is better than a Friday morning. And I do that throughout the course of a year, I would say I probably do that a minimum, like three times a year. And then if anything is big and shifting, that happens too. Like I have to do that process before winter break, for example, because I know my kids are going to be home for two weeks. I know my work schedule is different for those two weeks. I know we're going to be traveling. So I need to look at my calendar because that's like the holder of all those things. What's this going to do to my energy? When are we traveling? What's this going to cost me? I mean, finances come into this heavily, right? What else needs to shift? What do I need to pause? Like, do I need to pause that subscription of whatever that comes? Cause I'll be out of town. And for me, the calendar can be an anchor for all of those pieces. I love that. I wrote down a couple of notes in terms of, I think one of the things we're not taught in school and we kind of have to figure out for ourselves as adults. And I think this applies for everyone is advocating for yourself. And then I also hear you saying like giving yourself permission to change things up. Like even you talking about the thoughts, right? Like feeling like I failed or feeling defeated and being able to recognize like it's okay to make a change and being able to say like, I can, I can embrace who I am and how I show up and I can harness that to then overlay and put in the things that I desire to accomplish And I know at least in my, not until I found coaching, do I feel like I've even been able to lean into those things for myself. I know we were even talking about a week ago about like, I just shifted my entire calendar and I had to tell myself it's okay. Like you have been confined and told that you have to like work within these hours. Right. And there's a whole bunch of different beliefs that come in there. And so I had to release some of those things And realize like, no, like this is how I desire to show up. And so like, how can my calendar support how I want to feel in my personal life and my business, et cetera. And I think the same is true when you're someone who's diagnosed with ADHD. And I even think about when I was in the classroom and working with kids, it was like, okay, how do I help this kid have a certain experience? And then trying out different things to not make the child feel different, but to make you feel like included and things are approachable for you. And I think in the similar vein, just giving ourselves that permission. A hundred percent. And I mean, again, I've worked in the field of special education for 20 years now, and I now do coaching with parents. And a lot of times that's this conversation because their child with a disability is having an experience, right? And so are they. And like, I can give them all the strategies in the world and help them prepare for a meeting and 
get the accommodations they need and all of those things. And if parents and children are thinking certain thoughts, none of that matters. If everyone's still at the end of the day thinking something's wrong here or this is bad, right? None of that matters. So really getting to the point where we can understand whatever the disability is, ADHD, dyslexia, learning disability, autism, and say, this is something that I experience and it makes me experience part of the world's diff- parts of the world differently is very different than I got to fix something, right? Like I now know there's nothing to fix in me because I have ADHD, but like if I'm hot and my children are yelling at me, I need to be like, whoa, hold on, can't do this. And like all three of us take a deep breath. That's just how I move through life rather than thinking in my head the whole time, something's wrong with me, something's wrong with me, I'm broken. And that sounds, I think, almost basic sometimes, but it really is powerful and it really is important. And it's a lot of the work that I do with children and families. And if we get there where children and parents really understand this is the difference my child has, they have different experiences, I need to understand this better than all those other things I mentioned, like the growth doubles, right? The growth happens then. So I mean, I know mindset is really jargony right now. Everybody uses the word, but the mindset around it is super important. And I don't think I got there. I don't think I was there as a kid. Often as a kid, I think I was like, this is this thing that's an upward battle. I always have to like fix. And I just don't think that anymore. So even when you say like, what strategy? Sometimes I have to think and be like, oh yeah, what are these things that I do that help? and bring, come back to that awareness so that I really understand what am I doing intentionally, but it's become so natural that it feels, it feels just like me rather than like this extra work I have to do as somebody with ADHD, you know? (laughs) No, that's totally relatable. And I love those thoughts that you shared just now when we're talking, I'm going to like shift because I want to talk about your finances and we can just talk about it from your perspective, but I'm curious as to how you experience, like, what was your relationship with money? prior to us working together and what parts might be, I hate to say it like this. I want to be like, felt harder to you because maybe going back to thoughts, right. Of like, Oh, there's something wrong with me or like, this will always be hard or, or whatever it is to now you have a system that I know you use all the time because you tell me about it. (laughs) And just like what, yeah, I would just interested in like, what's the, What's the before and what's been like the shift in the dynamic of how you relate to money? Yeah, I I do have a system now. I wonder who taught me that. (laughs) Thanks, Kina. With money, I, I think I shared this with you before. Before working with you, it wasn't like terrible. I didn't have like $20,000 of credit card debt and any really scary story. And I'm grateful for that. And yet (laughs) my retirement wasn't where it needed to be. And I did have a some credit card debt. And I was still had a ton of student loan debt. I think I've shared with you this actual phrase before. I feel like my relationship with money previously was random. That kind of makes sense being somebody with ADHD. It felt really haphazard. Like I would have a great month and then a month where I was like, whoa, I'm about to overdraft. I would have some savings and then that would stall for a couple months. It was not consistent at all. And it was very much at the whims of like my mood. And again, this is an example of where my impulsivity would show up. So I wasn't like up at 2 a.m. I'm going to buy a flight to Greece. No, 
but I would say to myself, oh, I can splurge on this. I'll just swing this money from somewhere else. But I didn't have a system for that. So I would just tell myself that that was like in my head. But if you do that five times in a month and you don't actually make adjustments and you've made these five splurge purchases, you're in the red, right? I had no way of tracking that that felt doable. So the small impulses that were sometimes like, you know, $22, I'm going to grab this lunch, which in DC is $22. I feel like to eat lunch anywhere. And, but if you do that 10 times in a month thinking I'll figure it out and don't figure it out, that adds up. And sometimes it was bigger. Sometimes it was a couple hundred dollars. You know, I think unfortunately credit cards are like someone who's impulsive. It's like their worst nightmare. They're like set up as a trap because you have this fall where you can swipe it on the credit card and deal with it later, which is kind of dangerous, quite frankly. And you know, with me, I didn't go too far into the red, thank goodness. But honestly, that's a real danger for an impulsive young adult because you have to be thinking about future self and not just today self. And if you make the purchase today and you get the dopamine hit and you're excited at what you got, be it a trip or a meal or a new pair of shoes, cool. It is harder for the ADHD brain to also be thinking about Martha who has to pay the credit card statement and Martha who has to say no to something else because she said yes today. And Martha who wants to like retire before she's 75, (laughs) right? That's harder. There's a little bit more work there in the ADHD brain. And that was all showing up for me. And again, I am grateful that it wasn't extreme and dire, but it was there. And I didn't really rein all of that in with a system until I worked with you. I still have the same thoughts. Oh, I'm going to go grab lunch today because I didn't get my button gear and plan for lunches this week. But now I have a system where then I go in and I say, okay, I took 22 bucks for lunch today. I'm going to peel that out of this category because my dollars have names now, right? And I think it's important to note too, it's not just like the money. It's not like I'm sitting and thinking, do I want to spend this money or not? It's other ways that ADHD shows up for me. I've mentioned food a couple of times because that's one that I struggle with. Like the ability to plan out food for four people for seven days at a time breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks. In my house, everybody has some different preferences at the moment. That's like a Herculean task for me. And it's very overwhelming. And I could probably talk to somebody else and get some coaching around that. But that (laughs) has implications on my finances. Because if I don't get that done, come Thursday, when my husband's at work, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, all I want to do is grab takeout, right? Which isn't good for my health and certainly isn't good for my budget. So it's like those pieces too, the planning that needs to come into account to book a flight in advance that you're not paying extra meal plans. So you're not grabbing takeout or something that's more convenient. Keep an eye out for a good price on something or notice that if it goes on sale, like calling to do the price adjustment, like those are planning pieces that are harder for me and they all have implications on my budget. How has have like, has having a budget supported you in those planning implications? Yes, because having to look at it or making myself, you know, I have these money dates with myself a couple of times a month where I'm looking at my spending plan and it's just really easy. Again, I'm visual. So to see on there, like, oh, a $22 shift is like no big deal. But again, if I tried to do 10 of those, I'm scrambling, trying to pull that from somewhere else. And what that highlights for me in a really visual way is what did I say no to by saying yes to impulsively ordering takeout? Mm -hmm. Like, 
Am I saying no to $200 extra in my vacation fund? Mm-hmm. And then that allows me to think of future Martha, mm. right? Like it's like guardrails to be like, no, I am thinking now about Martha that pays the credit card bill and Martha that wants to go on vacation this summer because I'm looking at those numbers at least every 10 days. Whereas before I could go months without looking at it holistically. All I looked at before was like the number in the bank, which was a little terrifying, right? Not a lot of pride in admitting that, but that's where I was. Now I'm looking at all these different lines every week or 10 days. So they're just constant reminders to be like, oh, this line on vacation is getting pretty big. Like you're getting close. Why would I sacrifice that to get a few extra, like, right, to go Indian dinners because I didn't plan well? Like, cook that at home, Martha. So it's, it, that structure is like built in reminders for me that allow me to keep that conversation going in my head. So I'm not just thinking about today, Martha. Yeah. I love that. I'm so happy. (laughs) All thanks to Kina. (laughs) And I think like, that's the thing. I did an Instagram story yesterday that was like, just because you pay for something out of your checking account with your debit card doesn't mean you can afford it. And it's for that point, right? Because like, you're not looking at the big picture. You're looking at like that moment in time. I have $1,500 in my account. Yes, I can do the $100 towards this, but you don't realize, oh, that $100 is for, you know, Christmas or really that $100 is for vacation because everything doesn't have a name that lives into your, lives in your account. And that's why People experience the like ups and downs of, oh goodness, this month I feel really short or this month I feel like I have a surplus. And so it gives some structure to that. And like, I just want people to hear that. Like I, I feel like having a system and a routine for anyone is really beneficial because you have something to anchor in and it provides you with a level of context. And it's not about being restrictive. I'll tell you, Martha isn't restrictive because she has me ordering sparkling water that is way too expensive it's so (laughs) delicious though (laughs) but like you know just like being able to know that you can have this sparkling water what is it like 22 dollars for 12 cans uh maybe 21 (laughs) if you do the subscription right but like martha and i both enjoy spending money in very different ways and sometimes in the same way but like our our budgeting systems allow for that So if you're listening, I want you to also know that this doesn't mean that like you can't have something because you're, you're on a budget. Yeah. So the, the difference between like right now, right. If I were on my old system, I'd look at my checking account and be like, oh, there's some money in there. And I would like go spend it. Right. Whereas now I see, oh, there's some money in there. But a lot of that money is, as I said, there's a vacation line. There's like a kid's summer camp line. Oh my God. Could be a whole other conversation. (laughs) There's a. Christmas line. There's a birthday line for each of the girls. There's all of those things that happen throughout the next 12 months that I I can't be at zero for when that comes around. Right. So yeah, there's money in that account so that none of those things are surprises. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's one of the things that you taught me probably a decade ago, like the things that aren't surprises, you shouldn't treat them as such. And the other thing with having a system is I'll find surprises. So like now, if there is an unexpected cost that comes up, I'll think to myself, is this going to happen again? Like, does this need to be a piece of my spending plan? Right? Like I have a line that's called car and basically what it is, right? I have an old car and I love it, but it's, I mean, what is it now? Like almost 15 years old. So at any point it could go. So basically that I put money in there, every paycheck, if the car needs a repair, 
it comes out of there. Or when I ultimately want to buy a new car, that will be my down payment. Like, so it's flexible, right? If I want to put another couple thousand dollars into this current car, cause it'll last me another five years, then I'm going to keep doing that. And then once we decide, no, we're not putting any more money into this car, I'll keep that money going in there because then it'll start to become the down payment for the next car. So when the clutch goes that previously a hundred percent would have been a credit card. I, I, there's no way I ever would have had that money prepared because I just wasn't thinking in that way. So like, swim lessons. Last summer we did swim lessons and they were pretty pricey. And it was the first year that I did them for both girls. So it was a surprise last year, but it's not this year, right? Now I'm putting, I forget what it is, like $13 a paycheck into a little line item so that when summer comes around and we want to do eight weeks of pretty intensive swim lessons because of the age my kids are at right now, we have that money. So not only does it just make me better prepared, but also when I'm unprepared, that's not going to happen twice anymore. It's like, I find the holes and then there will come a time where we don't need the swim lesson line item anymore because my kids will be old enough and strong enough swimmers. That money will shift to something else. I recently, whew, thanks to Kina, I recently paid off my student loans, which was like amazing. That was a big chunk of money that I was able to reallocate to like one or two small other things and then savings. So it's, it's fluid too. One, it's not like I say no to everything. And two, it's fluid but there's a plan for it. So it's just like so much less stressful and it curbs my impulsivity. Yeah. And I love the fact that you also talk about like the impulsivity doesn't go away. Cause I think sometimes we're trying to like get rid of something instead of learning how to manage it. And I had one of my coaches actually tell me, I was talking about like a thought that continued to come up in my head. And she's like, yeah, just like put it in the back seat, like strap it down like a toddler, right? Like it doesn't need to drive. And I think about that when we think about like impulsivity, like even for myself, I have like urges. I love to spend money and I don't have to beat myself up about like my thoughts about spending money, et cetera. But it's like, how do I want to decide how to manage it? And you also talked about knowing that like as someone who has ADHD, like you experience these ups and downs and like mood changes, which... I haven't been diagnosed with ADHD, but I'd be like, so do I. Um, And knowing, like, I think part of knowing yourself is recognizing your mood, right? Like, when do you have a tendency to shop? Or if you've had a bad day, like, do you want to throw everything out in the kitchen and you just want to order Uber Eats, right? And so if you kind of know some of those things about yourself, then how do you build this plan that accommodates that? And I remember when we were working together, I don't remember the whole context, but we were talking about your husband and, you know, the days that he works nights, et cetera, and how you're like, yeah. And on these days I don't want to cook or like, I just already want to have the meals prepared. And so we talked about how do you factor that into your numbers? Because you already know that that's a habit that you have. Or we also talked about how you wanted to go eat lunch out because it was an opportunity for you to have time for yourself to get some work done and like to have a meeting with a coworker and like nourish that relationship. And so we weren't going to say no to those things, because if you think about like, those are three results that it creates for you. It's not just about spending money to eat lunch. It was about three other things. And so like, yes, you're going to be able to do that. And yeah, that's what budgeting. I see budgeting allows you is to say yes to more of what you want. Yeah. And allows you to be so much more honest with yourself. Like mm-hmm. I could lie to myself and say, I'm never going to do that work lunch on Thursdays anymore. And I'm never going to do takeout on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But like, mm-hmm. let's be real. That would be lying to myself, right? <laughs> so meeting in the middle and saying, 
I'll do takeout one of those nights because it is helpful because I'm alone with the kids and the other two, I'll have a plan. And then I am going to do the Thursday lunch with a coworker. Maybe I won't also do the Tuesday lunch by myself, right? So there was some, like, I guess you could say restriction, but I wasn't going to lie to myself and say like, I'll just stop all of these things because look how much money I could get back. I think for a lot of people, that's like coffee. You always hear about the coffee habit, right? And if you add up all those dollars, Mm -hmm. listen, you have to make a decision. Like if that's something you can give up kind of easily because you like coffee at home, get those dollars back. But if getting the coffee out is an experience that, brings you joy and starts your daily routine well and allows you to, especially nowadays, leave the house, right? And have a little bit of like a commute almost to start your work day, then do it, but Mm -hmm. then budget for it, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are not in the business of telling someone you can't do out coffee or you can't eat that. Like that's not, that that is unique to your approach. You're not someone that comes in and says, we got to cut all these things. It's like, again, you got to go inward. Which of these are serving you? Let's make a money plan for them. And the ones mm-hmm. that aren't, let's let them go. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things, I have a couple of clients who identify as being diagnosed with ADHD. And some of the things we've talked about that they've expressed, and I haven't, I don't know if I've heard you talk about this, but like paying bills late or like paying for things twice because my interpretation, right? Like you're just kind of racing and you're going really fast and you forget. And for me as a coach, I'm always like, in addition to teaching my clients to pay attention to their patterns, like I'm looking for your patterns and I might recognize something before you maybe call it out. But where I think having the spending plan allows you in terms of like late bills, well, now we're going to have a plan that has like all of your dates. We can talk about like creating a system that allows you to be comfortable with putting these on auto pay, where now we're kind of just checking a box to make sure it was paid. And you're going to have enough money in your account where it's not going to be an overdraft. I know one of my clients we were recently talking about, she's like, sometimes I buy things. She had like bought a plane ticket already and then bought another plane ticket for the same destination. Right. And she was like, Keena, I bought two plane tickets first. I'm like, it's okay. Well, like everything is solvable. Right. But then we started talking about for her, she's also someone who manages her life on a calendar. It was like, oh, would it be a good idea for you to even just like put a note in your calendar somewhere that always lives where you're like already bought the plane ticket or already do this so that that way, once again, just going back to that creating checks and balances and knowing yourself, like what's the system that's going to support you in embracing like how you show up and not going into the, oh my goodness, that like kind of defeatist mentality. Yeah. Listen, especially, and for anyone that's listening who does have ADHD, I would caution, like, especially in 2022, when we have Venmo and PayPal and Cash App and, right, like, the ability to pay and request is so easy. We have auto pay, your phone saves your credit card information. I know that these are all meant to be conveniences, but they can be dangerous. One, because I can, like, quick buy something from Athleta because my card is saved way too easily. And that's not great for someone that's impulsive. I often have my phone forget my credit card information because if I'm too lazy to walk upstairs and get the card, then I probably didn't need the purchase. So that's just like a, a tiny little rule I set for myself. You don't have to be that harsh with yourself, but also, yeah, that like exchange, I think paying twice or forget, I'm more common the forgetting to pay. And I don't ever want a friend to think like, I'm not going to pay you. Right. So I have a a number of friends where we do Venmo requests. If we go out to eat or if we, you know, we rented a house together and like, let me just request you for a fourth of it or whatever. 
it can help me stay on top of it, but only if I'm using it correctly. Otherwise, it's really easy to just be like, sure, I'll send you this. Sure, I'll send you that. And that ease can be dangerous because with them, I do Venmo. And with clients, I do PayPal. And with a colleague, we do cash app, right? Like those are all, it's almost like four other bank accounts. I mean, it's not, but you could treat it as such. I get, I teach yoga as well, just once a week. And I get paid from that on one of those apps. So that's actually income coming in. Like it's a lot more to manage. So having a plan with all of those is important as well. Because again, I know those are all designed for convenience, but it's also like more mental load that you have to manage. So I could see myself saying, yeah, I owed you a hundred dollars for the rental house. And then two weeks later thinking, wait, did I already pay for it? Oh yeah, let me send it. And doing that twice. Luckily I'll have a friend that's going to call me out on it, right? You and I had that experience a couple of years ago, your card auto saved on mine and it charged your card. And I got a text that was like, uh, Martha, I think I just bought your groceries. So I was like, ah, oh, shoot. But like the reality is if you hadn't caught that, I wasn't in a place where I know I would have. So I would say, if you are using any of those conveniences, it might be worth having a meeting with yourself to just reflect a little bit and say, where does this bring me ease? How is it serving me? Where is this causing trouble? And how can I solve for that? When I do my money dates with myself, Venmo, because it's the one I use the most, is one that I pull up. So I pull up two bank accounts and I pull up my Venmo with my spending plan because there's so much action happening there. So for me, that's kind of a quick solution there. Maybe that's the one that works for someone else, but that can be a space where it's like, it almost feels like funny money, right? It's just going in and out and in and out without ever seeing it. And that can add up and become problematic where it doesn't have to be. No, I love how you, I was going to say something about like using money dates in that way, right? Because if you know you have that consistent space where everything like lives, it's almost like the post-it note for your money (laughs) to be like, okay, I know I can take care of that on Friday because I'm going to sit down and do it. And if that's just kind of a weekly routine, then it allows you just to have that ease to be like, okay, I have a space to take care of it. I don't have to also allow that to swim in my head as something that I need to like think about all the time. I've enjoyed this conversation. I feel like I could talk to you about, hey, let's talk about talking about money with your friends and let's talk about all these other things. But yeah, I almost wanted to be like, okay, so how does this impact your husband? Because we've also talked about finances. I think in your original podcast, we talked about Matt and how your work has also impacted how you guys manage money as a, as a couple, but I won't, you know, do another hour episode with that. Um, but thank yeah, you. He's, he's someone with the ADHD diagnosis too. So we could, <laughs> that could be a whole other hour, but we figured it out. So happy to share at some future time. <laughs> no, but I just, I mean, I think like that speaks to, for me, it's like this like ripple effect. And I was actually thinking about this morning, like when you are the person who decides, hey, I'm committed to get my relationship with money, like I, that's really important to me and I want to fix that. Like, how does that shift the community in which you're in? And how does that elevate the value you bring to the people that you're around? And I know just, you know, because we run in similar circles and I know people that you know that talk about how Martha's managing her money now and how that impacts and influences them. So it's, it's just really cool to hear. It's awesome. And we talked last episode too about the impact that I hope it's having on my kids too, so that that, you know, continues to build in healthy ways. And I have you to thank for that. So thank you. Well, thanks for coming on. Is there any final things you would say? Just if, if, if any of this resonated and you're feeling like, yeah, but 
you know, any of that. Yeah, but that won't work for me or yeah, but it presents differently in me or yeah, but I've tried, try again, right? Try a different system because once you find a system that works for any of these things, for time planning, for financial planning, once you find a system that works, it can bring so much ease that that's how you can shift your story around having ADHD. Then you realize, oh, I just had to find the thing that worked for me. Like I've got this and that's a really good place to be. So keep trying until you find a system that works. I love it. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on yourself. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Martha, for joining me. You're so welcome. Have a good day. You too. Thank you so much for listening to Money Files. If you're ready to take the next step to reach your financial goals, head to www.wealthofrenow.com backslash appointment and let's get started.